But now you're then transitioning into a world where you've got a finite amount of money, like Bitcoin, finite amount. The more people use it, the value of that Bitcoin goes up. And now you're also moving to an energy world, which is infinite because the cost of solar panels will keep coming down. So sunlight is a resource which is always available, especially with a battery. So, but irrespective, every day there's going to be sunlight. So you've basically got this new, everything's been flipped. So you've got moving from infinite, infinite money, finite energy into infinite energy and finite money. And that's a complete flipping. And, um, and the beautiful thing is that solar energy is just a silicon chip. Sunlight hits it, it produces electricity. It's going to be sold for money. And all a Bitcoin mine is, is a silicon chip that receives electricity and then produces money. So you, it's like it's a completely passive solid state system. And if you use some of the money that was mined to finance more silicon chips to produce electricity, it's a positive feedback loop, as I explained earlier in, 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 this, in this session. You know, solar energy will keep getting cheaper. Bitcoin's going to keep getting more valuable. So as long as you keep funding solar panels with Bitcoin that you mined using electricity from solar panels, it's just going to transition. It's inevitable. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guest today is Abe Cambridge. Abe is the founder and CEO of the Sun Exchange, a peer-to-peer solar cell leasing platform that is helping to bring clean and cheap energy to communities and businesses in Africa. Abe's academic background is in climate science, and his studies led him to conclude that the solution is to transition the world away from fossil fuels and toward solar power. In our conversation, we discuss his background in climate science and how this led to starting the Sun Exchange, as well as how Bitcoin fits into the platform. This was an incredibly fascinating conversation that I know you will enjoy. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right. Well, Abe Cambridge, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm happy to have you. It's great to be here, Mark. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, as I was saying earlier, at least within the United States, uh, your insight to Bitcoin has has not had the, the voice that it deserves. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast here. Uh, but to that end, I think it'd be helpful if you're able to Tell us a little bit about your training and professional background before we get into the Sun Exchange. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's thanks for having the the voice of uh, of, of Sun Exchange on, on your podcast from down here in South Africa. And uh, hello, hello, progressive Bitcoiners. Um, so my 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 background originally uh, was in climate change science. So I did a, a geography degree at uni and specialised in physical geography. And, and, and I actually ended up specialising in paleoclimatology, which is you know, the study of how the, the climate has changed through the eons. And um, I got a scholarship to study the Master's of Science degree in the science of climate change at, at the University of East Anglia in the UK back in about 2007. And that's where I really started studying about the, you know, getting the really precise view on how we are changing the Earth's climate. And it made me realise it's almost pointless to carry on studying that level of precision on, on knowing something that's, that's blaringly obvious. So I actually ended up specialising more and more in how businesses and industries can switch to a cleaner future. Now, how do you, you decarbonise? And everything pointed to solar power for me. Um, the university I was in 
Uh, it was quite a progressive university and they had solar panels on site. So it was, I did a kind of energy audit of the whole campus and realized that really energy was the biggest footprint the university had, irrespective of looking at waste of water and things like that. Um, and uh, I, I did a study and it really turned out the solar industry in the UK was about to, was about to happen. It was about to, about to, about to evolve. And so I actually handed up my, my studies in early and went and st- um, set up a solar installation company um, down in Cornwall, where I'm from. Um, so about 2007, um, 2008, I set up a, a cooperative um, solar business. So uh, it's called a workers' co-op solar company, um, which I'll get onto in a moment. But really, the first thing I did in the solar sector was uh, do, I installed a solar tile system. So we stripped the roof of an old retirement home and, and fitted a solar tile. So you know, a product that you know, Tesla is currently um, selling today, uh, we are installing in 2007, 2008. And um, the, the, the business we set up was actually a cooperative and it was done very deliberately because you know, I'm a big believer in decentralization and, 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 and democracy. And to have a business that's controlled by the, you know, by the, by the, by the workforce, it becomes quite cyclical. It becomes very uh, resilient. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the principles behind cooperative businesses are you know, things like member economic participation, like everyone's allowed to participate you know, and voting. And those are the principles which I found very, very close to my heart to set up my first company. And as a result, we ended up doing projects around cooperative funding of projects, of solar projects. How do you get those who would not usually be able to afford to invest into a solar plant for their house or even own a house can now economically participate in a cooperatively funded solar project? And those are the kind of projects that I did in the UK back in 2007, 2008, 2009, um, prior to the, the, the solar industry collapse in the UK in about 2011, 2012. So that gives you the kind of the background pre-Sun Exchange. Um, I guess maybe just as, just as a side note, um, I'd always had an interest in alternative currencies. And I think the first alternative currency that took, took um, a notice of was a, a currency in Argentina um, that had an expiry date so this was money that had to be spent within a certain time period. Otherwise it, um, otherwise, it was no longer valid and it forced money to keep being circulating. And, um, and then I, as a subscriber to New Scientist magazine, I read about um, new forms of cryptocurrency coming, coming out soon. This is about 2008. So I read an article about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, um, or at least precursor to Bitcoin, before Bitcoin was finally um, announced on the white paper in 2009. And then when Bitcoin was announced, I then followed it all, all the way. So I was following it from its very inception up to, but I hadn't actually ever used it or utilized it. So I got to South Africa, which is, I can talk about later. I'm curious to know how Bitcoin mapped onto your political framework, your value system at the time you first learned about it, or was it completely separate from that? And it was only later that perhaps things uh, melded together. I think when I first saw Bitcoin, I didn't necessarily appreciate how profound it was in terms of uh, like a, a tool for recalibrating society and our economic systems. I saw it when I first read about it just as quite a cool new way of, of having money, like the code behind money. I didn't at the time appreciate what it actually means when I first heard about it. Um, but then when, when as, as, it, as it grew and I started to understand and appreciate actually kind of what it stood for, um, you know, individuals being able to be their own bank and you know, set up your own bank account and make your own money. Um, when I was setting up a company doing the same thing, but in energy, 
when you put in a solar plant, you become your own power generation station and you can democratically choose to do that. You don't need anyone's permission to generate solar power. Likewise with Bitcoin, you don't need permission to create your own Bitcoin. You can just do it and anyone can just plug in and join this open source network. Now, solar energy is open source energy. So the two worlds were actually in parallel with each other. So in about 2009, when I was starting my first solar company, it was also the birth of the solar industry in the UK. It was also the time when Bitcoin was was starting. So these two parallel worlds with very, very similar philosophies grew. And um, and it, when I first started ideating Sun Exchange, that's when like the uh, I had this brainwave hit, which was, you know, if you were to cross the two the two worlds and enable universal peer-to-peer transactions of monetized sunshine, you know, allow, allow people to own a solar panel in a borderless manner, like borderless transacting between solar panels using Bitcoin as the payment system. That's something that was really interesting to me. And I realized that if you can build a system or a network that connects individuals from one side of the planet to a solar panel on the other side of the planet, and the, and the monetary system between is frictionless, then that's, that could be the basis for a, a very um, accessible platform for enabling solar energy deployment, in, especially in emerging markets where moving money is traditionally very difficult. And so given your background in climate science and despite knowing that Bitcoin uh, uses a lot of energy, you were able to see it as a net benefit for climate change. Is that correct? You weren't turned off by that fact? Not at all. We, we've been doing... Um, a lot of studies in this. And it's something I've actually been talking about and contemplating since about 2016. Um, when I, you know, I've read a blog on this very early on in Sun Exchange's history. Um, and f- firstly, I mean, the, the, obviously the biggest thing which a lot of people don't talk about um, outside of the Bitcoin space is, well, what's the energy footprint of the alternative? You know, the, the actual energy footprint of traditional banking systems is vastly greater than that of Bitcoin. Um, and even when you look at just gold, as a, you know, even as a store of value, um, you know, Bitcoin's got way more function than just a store of value. It does records data and has lots of uh, utility, but just as a Bitcoin, um, just as a store of value, gold in itself, the energy intensity of mining gold is absolutely extraordinary. Um, I actually did a feasibility study to solar power a gold mine um, back in 2014 um, here in South Africa, and it was when I saw the energy intensity to to mine gold. Um, was well. It just really made me realise how much energy we're spending just digging up this uh, this this element, which does also have some utility. But it's just really puts into perspective that people talk about Bitcoin having a huge energy footprint, but there are other things which it it can replace, which also has a big energy footprint. So you got to think about what's it what it's replacing. Secondly, um, is just this idea of actually what do you do with that Bitcoin? And for me. If Bitcoin is literally just sat on and hodled forever, yes, that is a tremendous waste of energy because there's a lot of potential energy in Bitcoin. And when you think it from a like a almost like a not necessarily a philosophical point of view, but like in a pure human economics point of view, you know, the the it's the human imagination which applies value to something. Like we all agree on the value of something. And there's no actual limit to what that value that what our imaginations can put onto something. Um, and I'm not kind of I'm not saying this like a tulip market at all. You know that that's that was just like a speculative bubble. But I'm just saying that actually there's no limit to how valuable something can be. Um, and when you're looking at like a finite resource like Bitcoin, that price can just keep going up and up and up. 
and especially as people utilize it more. That's, that's the whole point in the economics of, of deflationary currency. But that means that the ability to do work of that Bitcoin also increases as its, as its value is also agreed upon to be increasing over time. And I mean, right now, Bitcoin at $30,000, you know, let's call it $30,000 for argument's sake. Um, and that can basically buy you about 40 kilowatts worth of solar panels. And those 40 kilowatts of solar panels are going to go on and produce vastly more energy than it took to create that Bitcoin. And because Bitcoin is being mined around the world using the cheapest forms of energy that are available, which just so happen to now be renewable energies. So the majority or getting on to be the majority of energy to mine Bitcoin currently is from hydropower, geothermal power, wind power, um, and probably now in, uh, in cleaner fossil fuels like gas, for example. Um, but, but ultimately, the miners are going to be pursuing the cheapest form of energy possible. And that's going to be renewables or is renewables becoming more so, which means that the embodied carbon or, or um, greenhouse gases associated with that energy intensity to make Bitcoin is also becoming less. So if you use that Bitcoin, buy solar panels and put them in a location where they're replacing very carbon intensive energy, like in South Africa, you know, a unit of electricity in South Africa, a, a kilowatt hour has about one kilogram of CO2 embodied in it. The actual per kilowatt hour embodied within a, each kilowatt hour to mine Bitcoin is about 300 grams. So you're basically got about you know, more than three times the carbon intensity of, of replacing kilowatt hour using um, using a Bitcoin funded solar panel. Now, the, 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 the point is, is that obviously that solar panel is going to keep on producing electricity for 25 years. And when I first hypothesized like, how, what, the, what this could do, I predicted that you're pretty better like saving 10 times more carbon than, than it took to, to mine that Bitcoin. But as things have progressed and Bitcoin's become increasingly more valuable, and as solar panels have become cheaper, the, 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 result, the initial results we're seeing from the study we're doing, which have, have yet to been released, but I can give you some insight, we're now looking at like hundreds of times more carbon reduction by, by funding solar panels with Bitcoin. So in that respect, even just a small percentage of, of, of financing solar power with Bitcoin globally will decarbonize the whole network. And, uh, and I think part of the picture that people miss is that the majority of Bitcoins that exist were mined on, on CPUs when energy consumption was negligible, but all Bitcoins today have the same value. And when you spend a Bitcoin on solar, that Bitcoin is not being destroyed. It's actually going to be circulating. And the more it circulates, the more value it has because it's being passed from one hand to another and it's, it's liquid. So th those are like the quite interesting things that we can see when it comes to economics, uh, which people tend to miss when it's it's very easy to say Bitcoin's got lots of lots of energy consumption, but you know, but it's about what you do with it that matters, and it can do an incredible amount. And I think you know, philosophically, Bitcoiners tend to want to transition the world, you know, just in the way it emerged into the world when it you know, as a result of the previous recession, it was the antithesis to centralized broken systems, and it really is the same thing in energy. So solar is the antithesis to broken centralized energy systems, especially in places like South Africa, where you've got a completely broken national utility. They have got broken coal power stations. They cannot even keep up um, up and running. And we have multiple power cuts here in this country and solar is being deployed everywhere because it's the, it's the solution. Um, and yeah, Bitcoin and solar today work together so beautifully. Indeed. Well, before we get into the Sun Exchange, I'm curious to know, why did the solar uh, market crash in the UK? The UK is not particularly sunny country, as I'm sure we can all agree. It's not known for sunshine. 
And so at the time of 2010, 2011, it was very, very buoyed up by, um, by subsidies. Now, the thing with the subsidy is that they're great to stimulate a market, you know, get a market started. But what you don't want is for to people to be exploiting that or, or um, for that subsidy to no longer be necessary, but still have it. But what people, what the government in the UK at the time didn't anticipate was just how fast the cost of solar panels would reduce. Basically, it became ludicrously lucrative for people to put solar on. And it ended up costing the, you know, the, the public purse a lot of money because they'd been subsidising solar. So they, the, when the government changed, they retrospectively did a rug pull on that, on that, on that subsidy. And a lot of solar companies went under. Um, so a lot of solar companies took the government to court, in fact, because they basically illegally took away the subsidy retrospectively. Um, and yeah, and so it really demonstrated to me why a subsidised market isn't, isn't safe or is not healthy. Um, and that's why I started looking for new markets to go to and apply my expertise and, and passions in solar to a, to a new market. And that's what led me to, to South Africa, which had not yet even really had a solar sector, but where solar power on its own merits without any subsidy works because there's more sun and solar panel cost by that point had come down. So the Sun Exchange, it would appear that you combined your desire to have a company that is, as you said, more decentralized and spread amongst uh, its users as well. But I sense that there was also an attempt, a desire to fix the problems faced by solar. And one of those problems, as you just discussed, uh, were some at times the funding, in this case, the subsidies behind solar. But what other problems do does solar energy face that uh, the Sun Exchange is trying to help? So uh, I guess first and foremost is, is, um, is funding for solar projects. So um, the majority of businesses in, in South Africa they, they want to be solar powered, but they've only got a certain amount of money available and um, they would rather use that money to, to expand their business operation, employ more staff than, than invest it into, into hardware. And debt in South Africa is very expensive. I think people don't quite appreciate how, how cheap debt is in, in, the, in the so-called West, you know, in the US and, and Europe. You know, interest rates are, are getting higher, but they're very low. So businesses tend to avoid raising debt and banks are, are, are skeptical about financing, especially new types of technology. Um, and that kind of leaves these businesses in a situation where they um, are just unable to access funding. Now, at the same time, there are you know, millions of people around the world that, that want to be earning money, for one, uh, in, in, in ways which is transparent and achieving a social good. Um, and there are very limited ways in which you can do that in a way that's truly sustainable um, and in a transparent and, and traceable manner. You know, so one way that you can make money by whilst doing good is to you know put money into um like a, a, a green bond or something through through a, through a bank or maybe a government have got a kind of ethical bond or something like that but you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with those bonds you don't necessarily know what you're investing into and it's also not particularly even fun you know putting money in a, into a bond and just getting a, a dividend check a year is not particularly interesting so i really i, I kind of position the idea that if you were to enable individuals to directly own solar panels on people's roofs in South Africa um, and under what's called a micro lease structure. So individuals leasing solar panels from one place on earth to the other, but the ultimate beneficiary of the electricity pays for that. And that money is then distributed back to the solar panel owner through a platform in Bitcoin is a very, very elegant solution. Um, so by, by, by connecting the, these, these two parties together, you know, the people that want to use solar panels to someone who wants to own a solar panel but otherwise has no place to put it can now do so 
and it's uh, and that's the, that's the solution. And instantly, we had a universal audience because as a universal currency, you only need to transact in Bitcoin to interact with everyone in the world. It's this intermediary of exchange. Just there's the point in it. Um, so all of a sudden, we've now got platform users in 180 countries who are now able to produce solar energy in South Africa and, and earn income from it. Fantastic. Can you walk us through how the process works from both uh, the purchasers going through your website of the solar cells, as well as the other end, uh, the businesses or people utilizing uh, the solar panels, for example, on the top of their schools? Okay. So from um, a Sun Exchange member's point of view, um, it really is simple. Um, you, you, know, you simply visit our website, sunexchange.com, um, and you sign up, create an account, um, and then you charge your wallet. Um, you could put Bitcoin into it or South African Rand. You can um, transfer money via a bank transfer or a credit card. But anyway, you've got to charge your wallet. And once you've charged your wallet, you can then buy a solar cell. And that solar cell is a, is a real physical solar cell. Um, it exists. It's got a, a watt rating. Um, it's got a specific manufacturer that you can read about and information provided. And then you choose which project that is being leased to. Um, so each time, each project has a different type of solar cell, depending on on, on, the, on the project. Um, and you buy solar cells for that project. So your solar cells then go on and get installed along with other people buying cells for that project onto their roof. Once it's installed and your solar cell starts producing electricity, um, we track the amount of energy your cell is, being, is producing and the user of that solar panel buys that electricity from you. Uh, because this, these solar panels are, are integrated into their building, um, they are using that electricity preferably over the grid is electricity so they are they kind of have to buy that electricity from the solar panels before they buy electricity from the grid um so that's how that happens people often think that we're selling electricity to the grid but we're not this is what's called embedded generation we're behind the meter um and then we collect and invoice the payments to use solar panels from the solar panel users and then it's then converted to bitcoin through um a local south african bitcoin exchange called valor um and then we then put we deposit the bitcoin into our users wallets now, once the Bitcoin's into the member's wallet, um, then, you know, there's data available showing you how many kilowatt hours you've produced and CO2 that's been reduced as a result of yeah, the electricity production. Uh, but you can either then keep your Bitcoin in that wallet or you can withdraw it to your own wallet to exchange for your local currency, or you can spend it on more solar cells. So you can spend your earnings into more solar cells. You can kind of compound your and compound your income, compound your social impact, compound your CO2 offset, uh, CO2 savings rather, um, into uh, into into more projects. And so that's that's what we think is really really quite interesting because it comes to, um, like a, a, a positive feedback loop, as a, like a virtuous spiral when you can start to just increase the volumes of solar capacity you 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 own and producing power from without even necessarily putting more money into the system. One of the things that sort of triggered me to set some exchange up in the first place is when I moved to South Africa and there was no way I could save money that wasn't connected to fossil fuels or or even tobacco uh, harvesting or you know, any of the industries I don't necessarily want my money associated with. There was no way to put it um, for, in terms of pensions. So then I, then I realized that if you buy a solar panel, that's that's a 20, 25 year piece of equipment. If you save that money up for 20, 25 years, 20, 25 years time, you've got a significant amount of revenue there. So if you were to compound your income every year from producing solar energy, in 20, 25 years time, I could have a, a living wage of the revenues being produced by my solar panels. Um, it's just a different way of looking at it in a way that I've got control over even which projects I'm earning from. 
they're, they're always high impact projects. So um, these things like schools, retirement homes, um, supermarkets, um, wildlife reserve facilities. But the reality is that you can choose what type of project it is that you want to be involved with. If you're, if you're purely about the money, you can go and solar power a shopping mall. Um, if you want to create more social impact, you can go and solar power a, a primary school. The the lease rate on powering a, a primary school is often a bit less than powering, for example, a, a commercial supermarket, which is willing to pay more. But really, we're creating savings of, of to the energy consumers. So, so let, let me just actually then just speak to a little bit how those projects get onto the platform, because that's the other side of your question. So a, a school will contact us via our website. Or, or be referred by another school that we've solar powered. And they'll go, hey, Sun Exchange, we want to be solar powered, but we don't want to use our own money. We just want to have cheaper electricity because we're sick of paying high electricity bills, contributing towards climate change. and But that's money that we should be investing into new school facilities. And we go, that's great because that's what we're here to do. Um, and we've got a bunch of solar installation companies that we've already pre-vetted and we trust. And um, we'll, they'll send one of them out to your school and they'll add up how much electricity you use and, and design a system. And once that's done, we'll then um, put that project on our platform and invite the members of Sun Exchange to purchase the solar panels in advance. Um, and then once all the solar panels have been bought, they then get installed onto the roof of that school. Um, and um, the whole timeline probably takes about two or three months. So from the school first contacting us to the, the crowd sale of the solar cells so it going live can be about three months. Sometimes it can be longer. Sometimes there are a few delays because we're dealing with you know, governmental organizations in some instances like boards and um, municipal governing bodies and that kind of thing, which can sometimes slow things down. Um, but I've seen projects go from first contact to built in a month. It can, it can be quick. Some projects have been about a year because they're big. Um, some of the projects we've done, we did a project in, uh, in Zimbabwe, actually, uh, in a project called Nimbe Fresh, which is um, it's a $1.4 million solar plant with large-scale battery storage. Um, and that was actually the biggest crowd-sourced project in Africa, full stop, in any sector. Um, that project took about five months to sell um, and so probably about nine months to construct. So that was, that was a biggie. Um, but in terms of a kind of flagship project about what we can achieve and do with a, with a global community, that's, that's it. Because, you know, Zimbabwe is fraught with issues, um, financial issues, number one, but energy issues, number two. Um, and, and people just don't want to invest in Zimbabwe. Like globally, people don't want to invest in Zimbabwe, but yet we, a lot of people eat Zimbabwean food. You know, a lot of the food from supermarkets in the UK is from Zimbabwe. So they are producing product, and agriculture is probably the most important sector in Africa for creating jobs and also in ensuring food security. Um, the one thing that causes a threat to food security is energy access and energy costs. So Nimbe Fresh has been running on diesel generators and a very unreliable national grid. So they're forced to pay diesel fuel costs, which are extremely expensive, um, which means they, they, uh, it prevents them from going into higher value crops like blueberries, for example, which needs constant refrigeration um, from the moment it's picked. So we've now gone and installed a, a 500 kilowatt solar plant and equipped it with a one megawatt hour battery system so that that farm is now running off solar energy 24 hours a day uninterrupted, which means they can now start going into much higher value crops 
and get a higher value but higher quality crop onto supermarket shelves around the world at a higher price, thus creating more jobs, getting more money into the, into the economy, and it's all funded um, th- through Sun Exchange um, and, and Bitcoin payments are the number one reason how it works. That's incredible. Such an inspiring story. I actually want to know if you can share with us some of those stories that uh, you've experienced over the past few years from the projects that you've worked with. Have there been a few people, feedback that has stood out to you that's that's resonated where you said, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I've taken on the risk and, and started my own business. I mean, I've just had a call with one of our members yesterday. He's in Canada. And um, you know, we, we did a promotional video about a year, about two years ago, where we, we made a video that just said, "Hey, if you you could be living in your in your, you could be living in your basement in icy Montreal, or living in an apartment in New York City, and you can own own in solar panels." This guy is he, he contacted me. He literally was living in his basement in Montreal, and he literally was that guy that wanted to own solar panels but wasn't able to do so. And now this portal gave him the ability to do that. Um, and it was like it was great, quite reassuring that the exact kind of problem we set out to solve for certain individuals um, with, with that with that was him. So that was that was nice, nice reassurance. But really, in terms of things which stand out to me as being m- most rewarding um, and probably most profound, is when we realised that in the schools we're powering, some of the children in those schools get either buying themselves or being bought solar panels by their parents that power their own school. Um, and Stellenbosch Waldorf School, which is the first project we did, has been running now for nearly six years. There are kids in that school, they're like eight, seven, eight years old. And they spent the whole of their school career powering their own school with solar panels they own whilst accumulating Bitcoin in a Bitcoin wallet since 2016. And there's still another 14 years to go on, on their leases. So in 14 years time, those kids are going to probably graduate from college and they're going to open up the Bitcoin wallet and probably be pretty happy. Um, and along the way, they've learned about the importance of saving for the future. They grew up in an environment that's been powered by clean energy that they were generating themselves. So when they leave school, they're not going to be suspicious or skeptical about the performance and, uh, of, of solar energy because they grew up with it. They grew up in it within their environment and owned it. And for me, that was that really kind of pins together the the, the, the point of view that this is not just a short term fix. This is we're actually changing the way people think about energy changing the way people think about money. Um, and so it's, you know, when we start doing it, we've done more schools than the other projects. I think we've done about 20 or 30 schools. Um, and that's not by accident. It's because schools are just the most beautiful place to do this kind of project. So you alluded to this with the, the Nimbe Fresh project, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on what the global clean energy transition means for developing regions like the Sub-Saharan Africa and why solutions like Sun Exchange and the Bitcoin work so well uh, with addressing that? Yeah, so I think firstly, you've got to look at what energy is being used for in sub-Saharan Africa. There are very, very few big energy consumers. And those big energy consumers exist are perfectly able to go and buy their own energy facilities. So um, you know, Anglo-American Platinum, for example, big big mining operation, they just gone to go and bought their own solar plant. Uh, a, a, a mine I did a feasibility study on has gone and bought their own solar plant. You know, so they've got no problems with cash. Um, but they also, they're big energy users, but the majority of energy users in Africa are small and medium-sized businesses who are running operations which are too small to be of interest to large-scale traditional finance. 
but it's where the majority of energy consumption is and where the majority of economic growth is going to be for now in the next you know, 50, 50 years plus. Um, and unfortunately, there is very limited energy in Africa. There's, it takes a huge amount of investment to build new thermal power stations. And if you're building a big thermal power station, you've got a few choices. You either have it burn coal, you have it burn oil, have it burn gas, or you have it burn nuclear, runoff nuclear. And the, th- the reality is that most of those systems are going to take decades to build because that's just the timeline of building those kinds of that kinds of projects. And when and that's before we even get into, without like it or not, the corruption that's involved in in big scale utilities on this continent is obscene. Um, so some of those big scale projects just just fall on just fall, but they die before they even are born. And I've seen it um, at a conference here. There was um, it was a it was a, a a utility executive of the year award. At a conference I went to, there were five nominees, and three of them couldn't go because of corruption charges. Um, and it's like these are the guys who are supposed to be fixing energy issues for their countries, um, and and that doesn't. And then you've got all these businesses that are struggling and trying to grow, but they're running diesel generators. So really, the the solution with without any, no one is denying, and everyone knows the solution for African energy is to is off grid or grid tied embedded solar generation with battery storage. Because a solar plant with a battery equipped provides on-the-spot energy with zero ongoing logistics of refueling, because it's all on site. Uh, it's reliable, it's perfectly clean, and it's half the cost of running a diesel generator. People don't realise that solar and storage is now way lower than the cost of running a diesel generator. It just needs someone to step up and be willing to fund that. And the World Bank, they do some good stuff but they are not willing to get out of bed for a project less than $50 million. And $50 million is way bigger a, a project than the projects we're dealing with, which are around $100,000 each. So we can, one by one, project by project, do $100,000 solar plants and power farms one by one. So it's much of a bottom-up approach. So eventually, sure, if, if African utilities get their act together and start building reliable centralized energy systems they can the two systems then connect with each other ultimately but i don't see that happening the energy for for this continent is is embedded solar with storage and and that's what that's what there are very few ways to get it funded for these operations and without them using their own money um and sun exchange is the most elegant solution for them um so karoo fresh um it's a a farm in the middle of the the karoo desert that that project's under construction right now um, they irrigate in a desert, so they need energy to, to extract and, and recycle water. Um, and they have to run diesel generators all year round so to pump water. But now with a solar and storage system, they now they can turn the diesel generator off for 364 days a year. It's probably one day a year when they probably need to have it as a backup. And other than that, they've now they've fixed their energy costs for 20 years. They do not need to worry about diesel costs ever again or fuel shortages ever again. And that means that the crops they produce will be guaranteed to be farmed and distributed to the world. And they're growing um, brassicas and saffron and other high value crops. And they do not need to worry about energy security. Where does Bitcoin mining fit into this clean energy transition, specifically with for Africa? And does it have any application uh, with the Sun Exchange? We do not yet have Bitcoin mining integrated into our solar plants. It would be, and I've, I've contemplated it many times and the way i see it that you'd need to 
because we do have so, we do have surplus solar energy coming out of our systems. Let's just put that up front, right? So we've got some energy that hasn't been used on site and it needs to go somewhere. Now, in some of our sites, we can export it to the grid and we get paid for it, which is great. But not everywhere has those facilities to do so because you need to have metering involved and the, ex- the utility needs to be able to measure that energy to pay you back for it, which most utilities in the continent don't have. So the only alternative is to throttle it or, or just give it to the end of the grid for free which is a bit of a waste. And, well, it's not necessarily a waste because someone's using it, but it's it's economically not advantageous to do, to just export it for free. You're better off storing it or converting it to Bitcoin. Now, the, the fact is that the this surplus energy that's coming out of a, of a solar plant is completely proportional to the amount of solar energy that system is receiving and the amount of energy that the, the energy consumer is using. So it's very, very volatile with the, this energy that's coming out of a, of a surplus energy coming out of a solar plant, um, which means that usually when you're running a Bitcoin mine, your, your energy demands change according to how hard you're running the Bitcoin mine. So it's like the energy is that it responds to the, the demand you've put onto the mine. But when you're, if you're setting up a Bitcoin mine to mop up solar energy, it's, it's actually gone in reverse your Bitcoin mine now has to work in response to the amount of energy that's available. So it's a slightly different approach, and there's a very different type of control system that need to be built and designed for converting surplus solar energy efficiently to Bitcoin. I'm not saying it can't be done. You know, we've we've proposed some ideas on how doing it. You can have like stacks of ant miners um, that just turn on and off, you know, like high, high, like a very small units that can turn on and off according to the amount of power available. There, so there are technical solutions for it, and it's something that I'd love to do. I mean, especially in places like Zimbabwe, um, where you can, where they've got great yields, definitely no way to export energy. If our batteries there are full, you literally have to turn your, your solar plant off if the batteries are full. So you might as well be converting that to solar energy, uh, sorry, to Bitcoin rather. Um, so it's something that we you know, we are. Ex- I, I'm personally exploring and thinking about. Um, you know, I'd love to see some exchange doing projects involving uh, Bitcoin mining, um, but we're not a project developer. That's something we need to make to people clear that we we need to be approached by someone that wants to do something like this and then do that groundwork to get that project into something that's then presentable to to, to be financed. We don't get involved on the on the ground in advance. So if there is any people that want to get set up a Bitcoin mining operation. Do get in contact with us, but don't do so until you've actually got a project. One one thing that I want to make sure that you uh, address while you're while I got you on here is something I think that you've so eloquently uh, made the comparison, and that's with the with solar energy and its silicon chips and Bitcoin mining uh, and its uh, silicon chips as well. Can you tell us uh, that statement that you you've said previously? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, the we we really have reached this like tipping point in human history where we've gone from uh, centralized banking and centralized energy into a world where you've got decentralized energy and decentralized banking. Um, and what's most fascinating is that actually you're moving from a completely like fossil-fueled world into a silicon-based world. So you're going from finite, finite energy being fossil fuels, where the cost of energy is going up over time. The more people use fossil fuels, the costs go up because it's a finite resource. And then you've got this old world of infinite money as banks can just freely print money as they see fit. So the the US dollar needs a a couple of trillion. Why not? Let's put another trillion, a couple of trillion into the the system. So you've got infinite money effectively. But now we're then transitioning into a world where you've got a finite amount of money 
like Bitcoin, finite amount, the more people use it, the value of that Bitcoin goes up. And now you're also moving to an energy world which is infinite because the cost of solar panels will keep coming down. So sunlight is a resource which is always available, especially with a battery. So, but irrespective, every day there's going to be sunlight. So you've basically got this new, everything's been flipped. So you've got moving from infinite, infinite money, finite energy into infinite energy and finite money. And that's a complete flippening. And, um, and the beautiful thing is that solar energy is just a silicon chip. Sunlight hits it, it produces electricity. It's going to be sold for money. And all a Bitcoin mine is, is a silicon chip that receives electricity and then produces money. So you, it's like it's a completely passive solid state system. And if you use some of the money that was mined to finance more silicon chips to produce electricity, it's a positive feedback loop, as I explained earlier in, 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 this, in this session. You know, solar energy will keep getting cheaper. Bitcoin is going to keep getting more valuable. So as long as you keep funding solar panels with Bitcoin that you mined using electricity from solar panels, it's just going to transition. It's inevitable. You don't even need to use much of the Bitcoin that's being mined to just keep that, that system running. Um, and you know, portals like SunExchange do allow that. I think we're the only portal in the world that actually directly receives and distributes Bitcoin for owning and producing solar energy. But it's something which is happening around the world in, in different different guises. So a lot of Bitcoin mining operations, especially like in Texas, are now equipping solar to their plants because it's the cheapest form of energy. So you've got a huge amount of silicon chips on the roof, powering silicon chips in the building, but it's producing money, which can go on and finance more silicon chips in, in both forms. So for me, that's that's the way I can look at it from a real macro level, um, you know, to, to try and summarize this, this transition to this silicon-based economy away from the fossil fuel-based economy that we're, that we're leaving behind us, which I actually think, and it's it's I really don't want to speak lightly of the situation in, in Eastern Europe right now. It's, 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 it's devastating. It's, it's horrible for all people involved. It's a tragedy to see. But one thing it has highlighted to us is how fragile our reliance on fossil fuels are. And actually, if it does anything, if, it, if, if any, any silver lining in the cloud is it incentivizes people to to move into, it will accelerate the move to, to re- renewable, sustainable energy systems. So you're not reliant on global distribution of fossil fuels. If it pushes people and it accelerates that move to people taking act their own, putting their own future in their own hands by producing their own energies and renewables, that has to be one of the silver linings. To that end, do you see, I'm sure you see the Sun Exchange as a part of that uh, transition. So I'm curious to know where you see the Sun Exchange in five, 10 years from now. Well, I mean, the, the goal of Sun Exchange was always to be a global platform. We've got a global membership using the platform to produce solar power. Um, but I really see Sun Exchange doing projects in more locations. So um, we're doing projects across the rest of Africa, maybe even into Latin America and, and Southeast Asia, you know, other, other regions of the world where they have the same issues of expensive debt, poor energy security, very expensive to run diesel. You know, islands like the Philippines, islands in the Philippines that run diesel generation on every island. Um, and even getting diesel to those islands causes pollution. If we can tap into all of these these different communities and get you know, hotels and schools running on solar power on in, in these areas, that's great. That's what I'd love to see love to see happening. Wonderful. Well, the last question and the one that I ask every person that comes onto the podcast is, "What gives you hope?" Wow, that's a that's a powerful question. What does give me hope? Well, I have hope that really human beings are inherently good 
And there are very few people who are inherently bad. So my inherent hope is for people to do the right thing and be and be good and be guided by love and not by not fear. Um, if everyone get, is guided by love, then people would end up making kinder decisions um, and less less anger towards each other and putting differences aside and working together as one global community, one global civilization. If we do that, then I'm sure we can clean up our act and um, and some of the, the absolute nonsense that we see going in the world can, can cease and put very, very, at the end of the end day, ridiculously tiny differences aside and start working together on, on solving global issues and developing science and creating art. You know, that's what humanity is, is fantastic at. So it's, it's, it's horrible to see you know, libraries being destroyed in, in cities during wartime, but we can rebuild and people rebuild and create more beautiful libraries and write even better books. So that, you know, it's provided we, we stay positive and, and, and love, love each other. That's for me, gives me hope. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Well, please tell the listeners where they can find you and the Sun Exchange. They can find me on, I'm on Twitter. You can at me at Abe Cambridge. Um, and um, on Sun Exchange, we're, 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 choose the portal of your choice. We're on, we're on Telegram, go to our website. Um, we're on Facebook. Um, follow, give us a follow on Instagram. Um, we also can, you can tweet us at the Sun Exchange. And yeah, you just, just reach out, give us a follow. Um, we produce quite a bit of content. We uh, produce a, um, a quarterly video called Sonic Diaries where we keep all snapshot and behind the scenes about how our projects are doing, insights into bits of technology that we find interesting, give a little bit of explanations on how certain things work um, and just generally give an update on, on the solar projects and things. So give us a follow on YouTube as well. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was incredibly interesting to hear all your insights. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Abe. Cool. No problem at all. Oh, and everyone do sign up and get involved. Absolutely. Hey, don't forget to please leave a review of the podcast. It'll take you two seconds to hit that five-star button. I really appreciate it. Come on, do it now!